All right, who's that? Jordan? Jordan Hicks? All right. Here we go. If you got a Bible, you can open up to Revelation chapter 6 while you come on down, while these kids keep coming. Revelation chapter 6, and if you would, please stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's word. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of uh, barley, for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence by wild beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day, and thank you for your word. Um, I pray that uh, today, as we, we look at this text, that it would motivate us. Uh, one, to, to be more thankful for the gospel than we already are, uh, and two, that it would motivate us to evangelism and to tell the lost world uh, about you and about the, the judgments that, 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 that are currently in this world and the judgments that are coming are uh, caused to, to, to rescue as many people as we can so that they'll be with you forever. Uh, thank you for all you've given us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've got here, we've made it, we're to the point of revelation, we're a lot of interpreters, uh, a lot of theologians, a lot of people will shake hands, part ways, and never meet again, right? And there's probably some of you in this room rubbing your hands together, you're just waiting for me to get here, uh, you want to know if I'm going to confirm your eschatology or your belief in the end times, and if I do, you're going to pat me on the back after this sermon and say, you're my friend, and if I don't, you'll probably be... I don't know, critical, and question me and maybe whisper behind my back, I'm sure, and tell everybody that I'm wrong. But as I said from the beginning, we can agree to disagree on many things in this book, but as we've said the last several weeks, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And so last week, we saw the main plain thing, I think, that summarizes the whole book of Revelation, and that is that Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain, has taken the, the scroll. 
He's been found worthy to break the seals, to read its contents. And what we said was, is that the scroll is just simply the drama of human history being played out, that it's God's plan for mankind that he sees the scroll and now he is in complete control of everything. That is the point of revelation. And so what happens is that chapter five points us to the ascension of Christ, to be seated at the right hand of Father of the Father. So, so the Ancient of Days has taken his rightful place beside the Father, and all of history is now on a collision course with him. And so in the process, he's redeeming every tribe, language, people, and nation. And so the main thing, regardless of where we go next, is that we have to stay centered on this. All of history is moving towards him. All people of every tribe, language, and nation is being redeemed to be a kingdom of priests, and one day they will worship him forever. But as I move forward, I do want to encourage some of you to be open to a different interpretation of the book of Revelation. Most of you and most of us have been grown up and, and been taught what is known as dispensationalism. Um, and I won't go into great detail about what dispensationalism is, but, but most of you have read Left Behind or, or seen the 17 fictional movies, you know, whether it's Kurt Cameron or Nicolas Cage, either one, okay? You've seen the movies, and you know what I'm talking about. The, the gist of, of dispensationalism goes like this, okay? Is that there'll be a secret rapture one day where all Christians will get vacuumed out of the world, right? So Mary and Buford will be walking up the hill, Buford will be taken, and Mary will be left behind. We all wish she'd been ready, right? We, you'll be riding on an airplane, and all of a sudden the person next to you is gone, and their clothes are neatly folded next to you, okay? That's the gist. After all the Christians are gone, there's going to be seven years of tribulation where things get really, really bad for the world. And during this time, this political leader is going to rise named Antichrist. People are going to love him. They're going to follow him. And at the end of seven years, Jesus will return, destroy this leader, and he'll cage the devil at the battle of Armageddon, and he will usher in a thousand years of world peace. Now, this is where it doesn't make any sense to me is that at the end of that thousand years, that wily old devil is going to find a way back out of his cage after Jesus has already been to earth to destroy him. And then Jesus will finally, after a thousand years, do away with the devil for good. Now, this may be true, but, but I think this interpretation of the book of Revelation makes it mean something to us that it never meant to the original audience. And I think that's our greatest problem when we study the book of Revelation is that oftentimes we want to make it mean something to us that it never meant to them. And we have to be very careful when we do that. See, dispensationalism is a very new end times theology. It wasn't introduced into the world until the late 19th century by a man named Jane, John Nelson Darby. Darby was succeeded by another man, and many of you maybe have his Bible, I have one, named C.I. Schofield. And through C.I. Schofield and Schofield's study Bible, dispensationalism, futurism, became the primary teaching in the United States. In fact, he made this system so popular that most Americans and even a lot of pastors don't even know that there are other ways to interpret the book of Revelation. Um, I was talking to Dr. Morrow Allen's dad, who's been a pastor for many years the other day, and he was asking me some questions about what I was teaching in Revelation, and he made the comment that he knew this old pastor that would every year bring in this guy that would teach futurism um, at his church, and they would do an end-time series every year, and Dr. Morrow said, I remember talking to him about this one day and explaining to this man that there were other systems of thought, and he said this pastor was blown away because he said, I didn't know there were other interpretations. 
But prior to the 1800s, dispensationalism had never been heard of. In fact, the early church fathers, the Protestant reformers, held a view very similar to what we've been teaching here at First Baptist Church. Right? Again, as young hotshot author Joe Vincent says in a forthcoming book, I'm not saying we should reject dispensationalism simply because it is new and doesn't agree with historic Protestant theology. It would be careless to reject ideas simply because they've never been thought of before. It's a great point. However, it is worth questioning why the theological titans prior to the 19th century did not develop dispensationalism. Could it be that Darby and Schofield were more enlightened than men like Luther, Calvin, Edwards, and Spurgeon? Or could it be that the theological system held by the majority of Protestants and the church fathers for centuries was so clear, truthful, and accurate that no other system was deemed necessary? So I'm asking that some of you just be open to seeing that book differently, okay? A lot of what's taken place over the years in dispensationalism has, has been making predictions that have not come true, that they've missed time and time and time again, right? And so I believe that there's a more hopeful way to look at the book of Revelation as opposed to this scary gloom and doom account that means something to us that it never meant to the original audience, okay? So, so let's look at Revelation 6, 1 through 8, right? I'll read it, we'll explain it, and then I want to apply it to, to where we live, okay? So, so verses 1 and 2. It says, Now I watched the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now chapter 6 just picks right up where 5 left off. So Jesus has taken the scroll. He sees control of human history. He begins to break the seals of the scroll that contain the drama of human history. And it's all going to unfold as Jesus declares. So this chapter of scripture mirrors that of Ezekiel 14, 12 through 21. Almost identical. Many of the judgments that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, 6 through 28, we will find in this chapter. G.K. Beale tells us that Revelation 6, 1 through 8, describes the operations of the destructive forces which were unleashed immediately upon the world as a result of Christ's victorious suffering at the cross, his resurrection, and his ascent to a position of rule at his Father's right hand. So in other words, these events began right after Christ's ascension back into heaven. They're still going on and they will continue until Christ returns. So they don't describe future tribulation, but events of the past that happened in the first century, events of the present that are going on now, and events that will continue on into the future until Christ returns to drop the curtain on human history. John told us in Revelation chapter 9, or chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So the tribulation, he says, is not a future event, but one we are living in for some time and we will continue to live in until Christ returns. So just imagine we're in the throne room, the lamb has taken the scroll and he begins to break the seals. The first four seals of judgment go together. They are one judgment. It's made clear by the fourth seal that ties the first three together. And so what we see is that these, these judgments serve a twofold purpose. They are redemptive and judicial. They're redemptive and judicial. 
So these trials are meant to bring judgment to those who persecute Christians and those who reject the name of Jesus Christ. And although Christians will no doubt uh, suffer through these trials, they'll fall upon Christians in Christ's church. Instead of being judicial, they're redemptive for us insofar that they strengthen our faith and they cause you and I to lean on Christ more. They cause us to endure. They cause us to conquer, as the book of Revelation says over and over again, that those who conquer, those who endure, will be with the Lord. So the first seal is broken. One of the four creatures says uh, in a voice, uh, says come in a voice like thunder. So it indicates that all these judgments that we're going to read about are coming from the throne of God. Jay, or, yeah, Jay read this at the beginning of service, Psalm 103, 20 through 21. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So in other words, what we're about to read about are not accidents of nature, nor do they originate with Satan. They're divine. All of them are divine, and they're designed to call people to repentance, to punish unbelievers, and to purify and refine the people of God. And so the creature says, come, and the first thing we see is a white horse with a crowned rider carrying a bow. And it says that this white horse and this rider come out conquering and to conquer. There's a lot of speculation on what the rider is, but essentially the rider represents a satanic force attempting to defeat and oppress believers spiritually through deception. Okay, so notice what's he riding? A white horse. Notice how he's crowned, right? Sounds similar to somebody else who will come back one day riding a white horse and being crowned, right? It's, it's there to deceive us. It's there to throw us off. And so this could be anything that we trust in other than Christ, any kind of false savior that you and I run to to find fulfillment or find salvation. But mainly what it's pointing to is human political power. It's so tempting to trust in political leaders, isn't it? It's so tempting for us to go, if we just get the right guy, the right girl, okay? Sorry about that, ladies. The right guy or girl, okay? It's so tempting to get that right person in there they're going to fix everything. But oftentimes, political leaders just lead to domination and oppression, and they make things worse. Which brings us to our second writer, right? Look at verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So the command to come happens, and out comes a red horse. Its rider is permitted to take peace from the world so that people would slay one another, and this rider is given a great sword. So the result of political power and searching for false Christ is often what? War. It's war among people. It's division. It's unrest, right? I mean, y'all know anything about that right now? Absolutely. And so what this means is literal warfare, but it also means spiritual warfare. Now, we don't have time to go through all the list of all the wars in the first century. Go home today and just Google first century wars, right? You'll be on the computer for a very long time looking at all the wars and all the things that happened right after the ascension of Christ. But what about the 20th century? The bloodiest century on record. All right, let's start right there at the end of the 19th. 640,000 
died in the Civil War. 41 million died in World War II, and in 60 million in, uh, excuse me, World War I, 60 million in World War II. 1.3 million civilian and military lives lost in Vietnam. Globally, there were almost 4,000 conflicts between 1870 and 2001, right? War has been a constant and will continue to be a constant until Christ returns, Right? This writer is very real. This writer is very active, and he is on the earth roaming right now. But also, this writer is taking peace. And so that means spiritually. And if we're honest, peace is like the one thing that every single one of us is pursuing. We all want that sense of inner peace. That's why we chase after so many crazy, foolish things because we think it'll bring us peace. We're restless. Right? So, so we got to have a better job. That'll bring us peace. More money. That'll bring us peace. A better house. That'll bring us peace. Kids succeeding and doing better. That'll bring us peace. Like we're after peace. And this writer is roaming the earth taking peace. There's a deep restlessness in each and every one of us. I feel it. You feel it. This writer is active right now. So the desire for political gain, for ambition leads to war. Wars have consequences. Verse five, and when I opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, and I, and I heard what appeared to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the wine, the oil and wine. So we hear the command again to come and out as a black horse with a rider holding scales. Right? The, the scales would represent uh, during times of famine, they would weigh out the food that they would measure to give to other people. And as this writer comes out, we, we hear another voice, and, and this voice is describing the prices of wheat and barley and the prices of oil and wine. So wheat and barley would be common goods, oil and wine would be the more expensive goods. And so what this indicates is a lack of food or famine. Now this could be due to war, Right? Because of wars, there's consequences. We, we run out of food. It could be the decisions of certain political leaders. It could be uh, pandemics or pestilence or things that happen that cause certain famines. And the prices that are quoted here for wheat and barley are 8 to 16 times the normal going price in the current Roman Empire. And the oil and wine, representing the more luxurious goods, are not affected. Why? Because when there's famine... Poor people can only get what they need to survive while the wealthy basically can still do whatever they want, right? Absolutely. Everybody else is spending all their income on the basics while the wealthy are just living their best life. See, this would apply to the seven churches listening to this because during times of famine, Christians were not allowed the same access as others to the basic commodities of life. This continues in our present day and age. You go to India or many Muslim countries, when natural disasters occur, relief is often denied to Christians who refuse to compromise with the worldly systems, okay? This is still happening. This is still taking place. It has been taking place. So this leads to the fourth seal, and this is the one that ties all of them together. Look what it says. And when the fourth seal, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. 
And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and, with by, and by wild beasts of the earth. So the fourth horse is a pale horse. That, that's the Greek word chloros. It's where we get the word chlorophyll, chlorine. Uh, this horse is a sickly, yellowish, green, gross-looking color, right? My kid threw up the other night. It kind of looked like that, okay? That's, that, think about that when your kids are sick. It's, it's, yeah, it's gross. So this rider comes out, and, and, and Hades is following this rider. Hades would be the abode of the dead. It follows him, and this horseman is given the authority to afflict death in four different ways. Inflict death in four ways. Sword, right? We've read about that. Famine, we've read about that. Pestilence, which would be disease, and wild beasts, which would be persecution of some sort. See, these judgments don't occur independently from one another, but they parallel one another as parts of an overall judgment. So, so the seven churches would have been familiar with all these things as well. They had seen war, right? They were in the middle of the Roman Empire. The Pax Romana was a peace, but it was a peace by what? Sword. It was brutal, it was bloody, it was violent. They had seen war. They had seen famine, look it up. There were multiple famines in the first century after Jesus went back up. They had seen bad things happen. They'd seen bad political leaders. They had heard of and even seen Christians thrown to wild animals by this point. And folks, these things have not ceased. They've not stopped. Famine and disease and war are still here. We've looked at the toll of wars, but listen, famine has been a constant in human history. Between 1692 and 1694, 2.8 million people in France, roughly 15% of the population starved to death. In 1695, a famine struck Estonia, killing a fifth of the population, right? Go home and Google food shortages right now, and I promise you, you will get article after article written within the last 24 hours about the shortages of food all over the world right now because of the pandemic, because some guy can't drive his boat through the Suez Canal, right? And he blocks the whole thing up, right? Like all these things, like right now we have food shortages on this earth. They're happening. They have not ceased happening, right? What about disease? The Black Death in the 1330s killed between 75 and 200 million people. That was a quarter of the population of Europe and Asia. The city of Florence alone lost 50,000 of its 100,000 inhabitants. Yes, half the city died. The Spanish flu of 1918 infected half a billion people, and experts differ on the number of people who eventually died, but it's somewhere between 50 to 100 million people. As of today, 30 million plus have died of AIDS. And not to mention the Rona, it's still going, okay? My point is that these riders are not four things that'll be unleashed at a future time. They're currently roaming the earth, carrying out their assigned roles. These things will not get better as time goes on, but they will continue to get worse. And we'll see why that is next week. See, because no matter how hard they try, the church of Jesus Christ is still standing. 
They can keep throwing all that they want at a losing cause and they know it. So they will continue to ramp up and escalate everything they're doing, thinking in the back of their mind, maybe we're going to win, but they can't win. These things will continue to happen. And see, listen, here's the reason why so many of us love the idea of a secret rapture. We don't want to be here when it gets bad. We're soft. We just want to get out of here before it all goes crazy. It scares us to think about things getting worse, and that's understandable. I get it. I get it now more than ever that I'm a dad. But Jesus never promised you and I it was going to be easy. He just said it was going to be worth it. I mean, I believe he did say that his cross comes before the crown. Amen? Yeah. See, no matter how difficult things get, I want you to hold on to one very crucial thing. Jesus has the scroll. Jesus is in charge. Notice this. The first rider is given a crown. The second rider is permitted to take away peace. And the fourth rider has the authority to kill. But notice, all of those things are given to those riders. They are not those riders by nature. It's given. So in other words, the worst of the worst and the darkness of the darkest is bound and constrained by the purpose of Almighty God. Evil's chained and made to serve greater ends than it knows, right? So Jesus told Pilate this right before he died in John 19, 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Good Friday was ordained by the hand of God to happen so that Jesus could die for our sins. So even the injustice of Pilate, the cowardly pandering to the mob, his moral indifference, even those things were in the scroll governed by the decree of Almighty God. All the dark clouds of loss, suffering, and sin serve God's ends. Joe read this earlier, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. See, these four horsemen should remind you and I that Jesus is coming soon. So saddle up and get ready. Because this is what life looks like between the two comings of Jesus. But be comforted because the worst is bound and governed and superintended by the hand of God. None of it is out of his control or out of his reach. So let's get practical. What do we do with this knowledge? Well, we talked about this last week. Is that first, knowing these things should be all the motivation that you and I need as Christians for evangelism. This is the reason we tell people about Jesus. We tell them that these judgments are real and that these judgments are meant to be a punishment on an unbelieving world. And so if that's the case, we should want to tell as many people as possible to repent and believe in the gospel so that they could be spared from all this wrath. See, for unbelievers, these things end in separation from God the Father. But for believers, these things serve a purifying and cleansing purpose to make us more like Jesus. And we know that for Christians, at the end of all these things, awaits Jesus Christ. But for believers, awaits eternity and separation from him in hell. 
So if you don't know Jesus, would you trust in Jesus, the lamb who was slain for your sins, that you might be forgiven so that you could dwell with him forever, not based on your goodness, but his righteousness? Brothers and sisters, we should be telling everyone we know about Jesus. These judgments are real. And we should take them seriously. But the other thing for us is to be aware about how these four horsemen wreak havoc in our own lives. You know, t- Tuesday morning in, in Bible study, Joe made a great point that oftentimes we, we, we look at the national stage here in Spearman and we want to complain and gripe about all the problems on the national stage and we fail to take account the problems at home. Because yeah, I get it, these things on the national stage, they, they affect us, but, but not like other places, right? I mean, we're, they'll get here eventually, but, but for now, we, we've got other things that we probably need to be more concerned with than some of this other stuff. So, so, so let's just go through these very quickly. So, so first, this first horseman that deceives by getting us to trust in a false Christ, how does that affect us? Once again, we've been over this. For many, as a, many of us, it's in the area of politics. We, we, we're so wrapped up in what leaders we have we're so concerned about what Biden and Kamala is doing and, 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 and the, the election was rigged and, and on and on we could go. And we look at it as if God's plan for the world has failed. But could it be that God's plan is working out just like it's supposed to? I mean, maybe God's using this time to draw us as a church back to himself. Not to push us more and more into political leaders, but to call us back to himself. Like maybe he's saying, hey, I know a better political leader. It's me. I've got the scroll. And so maybe we need to get our eyes off of all that junk and look to Jesus. See, sometimes God directly pours his wrath out on people for judgment. But oftentimes, and this is the case in Revelation, he lets go of his restraining influence of common grace and says, if you want it, go get it. You know that's what he's doing to the United States right now, right? This isn't a recent thing, folks. We, let, we took our eyes off of him a long time ago. And so he said, if you want it, it's yours. And he's giving us up to the result of our sins. So listen, can we be a people who stay calm and trust in the only leader that matters, Jesus Christ? He's got the scroll. He's the one we should be looking to, not DC. The second writer this writer takes peace from the world. Now I get it, we, we don't see that at home with, with real war, war, although at times, and it has in, the recent, in our recent history, affected us as we lose young men in the war. But for the most part, it, it doesn't affect us. But listen, a lot of times for you and I, it is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. We all lack peace. And this last year has shown us that more than ever, hasn't it? That we, we lack it. My best friend's wife recently said that when people uh, uh, are unsure about where they're going or who is in control or they lack a piece about where they're going or who's in control, they will fight with all they have to preserve what they have right here. I think we've been doing a lot of that. We've done a whole lot of that, haven't we? And I think that, that our lack of peace has caused us to turn to a lot of different things for peace. But, but one of the things I, I think that, that a lot of people have turned to on this last year is has been alcohol. Now listen to me, God created drink, all right? Don't start it with me about, oh, here he goes, the Baptist preacher. All right, God created drink. 
Don't at me. You can look in the Bible. You can't find a verse that doesn't tell me he didn't. He gave it to us to be enjoyed, not abused. So I mean, some of you need to stop walking down the cheese aisle, rebuking it every time you go down there, going, oh, Jesus, go back to him. Get, get, get. Just quit. But listen to me. A lot of us have turned to this as something to cope with the reality of the world. We're drinking way too much to deal with our lack of peace. So you're running home, you're pouring something, and it's the only way that many of you are going to sleep right now. And it's not just that, okay? There are plenty of other things that we are running to to try to find peace. All the while Jesus is in heaven saying, hey, come to me if you're weary and tired, I'll give you rest. Find your peace in me. Sure, things are difficult, but I got the scroll. I know where it's headed. I know where it's going. You can trust that I've got it all under control. So listen, I heard a pastor say this this week, and I think this is so refreshing for all of you. Is everybody ready? Look at me. You ready? You don't have to prove anything to anyone. Isn't that nice? You aren't going to be the best mom or dad. Sorry. You're not gonna have the cutest home or the nicest pickup. You're not gonna have the best behaved kids. You're not gonna make the most money. You can keep trying to prove yourself all you want and it'll never be enough all the while Jesus is saying, I proved myself for you. You have the approval of my Father because of what I did. Rest in me. Breathe. You can find peace in Christ because he proved himself for you. So today we need to repent of our lack of peace and be a people that no matter the situation, remain at peace because we know our Lord has the scroll. The third writer, famine. Again, well, Byron, we haven't experienced famine, right? This isn't our problem. We've all the food we need right here, right here in Spearman. Maybe that is our problem. The average American over the last year has gained 29 pounds. 29 pounds. We don't even think about the fact that so many people go without. We just eat and eat and eat. I threw away more leftovers. It was embarrassing how many leftovers I've thrown away this week. I ought to be ashamed. Meanwhile, right here in Spearman, Texas, 104 kids in the elementary and junior highs get food sent home to them every weekend because they don't have enough. 60 plus families are on the food bank. Folks, this third horse is real and it's in this community and we need to be aware of that and open our eyes to find ways to meet those needs, period. Finally, the fourth rider. You guys know death is real, right? Yeah. And you know that it's coming for every one of us in this room. Unless Jesus returns, we're not getting out alive. See, what's wonderful in the 21st century for all of our innovations and how modern and awesome we are, we still haven't found a way to beat death. After World War I, you know what they said? There'll never be another war like this. There'll never be another loss of life like this. World War II said, hold my beer. It's the truth. We never thought in a million years that we would see COVID even make it to America. And guarantee most of you were like me when it first started. Ah, it'll be over in a couple months. Here we are, year in. And I'm afraid that, that some of what it's done is it scared some of us to death. And a lot of it is because we don't know where we're going. So maybe you need to get that right. 
but we're going to die. It's inevitable. But how you and I live is up to us. So are we going to be a people who fear death or will we be a people who can stand up no matter what life throws at us and say, to God be the glory, I'm pursuing Jesus, I know who's in control and I'm gonna follow him all the way to the end. I'm not gonna stop living for him and I'm not gonna stop running my race. So if there's a pandemic, man, to God be the glory, let's go, I'll find a way to serve him in a pandemic. What? Oh, I ran out of food? To God be the glory. I can skip a few meals so that I can serve Jesus. If I find myself in war, to God be the glory. I'm gonna continue to serve Jesus. Listen, if I get persecuted for what I believe, amen, let's go. To God be the glory, I'll continue to pursue him no matter what happens to me, no matter what you do to me, I'm going to serve him. See, this final writer, for all of us who are believers, this final writer should fill us with gratitude that Jesus endured in our place the wrath and judgment that we deserved. And it should create a profound sense of thanksgiving for the forgiveness of sin, which causes us to love him more, which causes us to stand and endure as these horsemen continue to roam the earth, continue to ravage the earth. We can know that we are secure in where we're going because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can rest knowing that he was found worthy to take the scroll and that he's in control of it all. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna ask that our deacons come forward because right now we're gonna to go to the Lord's table and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done to endure for us so that we can, or what Jesus has done for us so that we can endure. So that we do not have to fear these riders because we know whose we are. And so as they come down, I wanna remind you as we do every time that uh, if you're a guest with us in here, uh, but you're a Christian, then you're welcome to the Lord's table. If you're not a Christian, we're just gonna ask politely. We're not singling you out, but we're just gonna ask that you sit this out. This is for the family. The Bible's very clear that this is for believers. Maybe you're in here and you've, you've never trusted in Jesus. And today as we were preaching, something switched in you, something changed. And you knew that today for the first time you've trusted Jesus, then by all means, come to the table for the first time today and join us. But I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna hand these out and we're gonna go to the Lord's table. So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us to endure, uh, to, to, so that we may endure, that he's lived the life we should have lived. He's died the death we deserved. He's taken our place so that because of his blood and his righteousness, we no longer have to fear these riders, that we can rest knowing that you are in complete control of it all and that no matter what comes our way on the other side of all this is you. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.